We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And another crazy weekend in Lakerland on Friday night. Lakers fell to the Dallas Mavericks on another left-wing buzzer beater that looked eerily similar to the Indiana Pacers game. I actually want to talk about that at some point uh, before our next game, about how similar they were and why. And then on Sunday night, a hard-fought game against the Orlando Magic. Lakers go on a big run to end the first and then in the second quarter and then give up most of it. And then Austin Reeves down the stretch closes it out with a career high 35 point game. And the Lakers end up splitting a pair of games this weekend, end it in 10th place, tied for the ninth spot, but losing the tiebreaker. Darius, it's a, like I said, never a dull moment around here. Give me your impressions from pretty crazy weekend. The Mavs game was frustrating for a variety of reasons. The Lakers gave another one away. Out of every loss in the last three or four losses, I feel like the Lakers have sort of said that they've given one away. The Magic game was frustrating for an entirely different reason. So the Lakers go one and one. That's fine. I have a general level of frustration with the team right now. And as the Lakers become a team that looks like it can do more and more things, that it becomes a better team, like I have less patience for them as a group. Like I want them to start to play to their level a bit more. I want them to start taking possessions more seriously. I want them to basically look more and more like a team that can actually win something or compete for something. When the Lakers are bad, like I, I have a lot of grace for them. I feel like when you're a bad team, you're you're a bad team and you do what bad things do. It's it's like I'm not going to blame a small team for not being able to rebound. I'm not going to be able. I'm not going to blame a team that can't that doesn't have good defenders for not being able to defend. I'm not going to blame a team that doesn't have a lot of good shooters for not being able to shoot. These are the limitations of your talent. You can play above that. You can play below that. And that's NBA basketball. And it's a tricky thing. We want the team to be confident, but we don't want them to be arrogant. 
We want them to understand the stakes of things and we want them to take that stuff seriously, but we don't want them to be so overwrought with that stuff that they're frozen within the context of, of being able to access the competitive level that you need to get to rather than being sort of um, put in place by, by the fact that like, oh, the stakes are so high that we can't compete the way that we need to. The general lackadaisical nature of the team, particularly the start games and with the starting unit in particular has just been rubbing me wrong the last several games. And it started in the second half of the Pelicans game where they were up a billion. We sort of dismiss that to a certain extent based off the fact that that's human nature. You're up by a billion. It's just like it's easy to let your foot off the gas. Um, and then the next night they lose to Houston in another game where I think we understood the limitations of that group without AD and Houston style of play. But th that group didn't particularly play very hard to start the game. It was a very similar thing against the Mavericks. They did not play very hard to start that game. And against the Magic... I didn't think they played particularly hard to start the game. Now, there's hard in terms of energy and there's hard in terms of mental focus. And so I want to kick this idea to both of you. The Lakers, to me, have oscillated too much between both of those things. So sometimes they're not playing hard in terms of energy, but other times they're not playing hard in terms of applying the mental focus that you need to have in order to compete at a level where you're taking the opponent seriously enough and you're in the moment competing, which is a mental thing. It's not necessarily a physical thing. And against the magic, I thought it was a mental thing as much as anything else where I'm just like, y'all aren't doing the stuff you need to be doing right now. And I don't, I don't get it. And so I hate to come off a win where Austin was great. And I think we'll get to that soon. But you asked me what, where my head is at around the Lakers after a weekend of, of games, Pete, and that's sort of where I am. Well, fellas, there's a lot of stuff to get into. Uh, Darius just touched on many of the things that we will talk about. I, I don't think we'll get them all in today. Uh, frankly, it's going to take a couple of days to unpack. Yeah, I'll try to give a general takeaway first. And from being at these home, these two home games, the I don't think that the the play on the court matched the moment uh, or and even the moment that the crowd uh, understood and expected. And and that's so that's, I think, the, the major point of frustration. So the Lakers get a split. And by doing so, you know, they're in the 10 seed now or I guess tied with the Wolves for the nine seed. They should have won the Dallas game uh, for for multiple different reasons. And the, the difference there is that then you're tied with Golden State for the six seed um, ahead of Dallas. And that's a big difference. But it's also not like. And this is thus the, the source of the frustration. Now, if you think about what the Lakers have left in terms of the schedule and how many games um, they still have to play, it's less about what that spot is. And that spot's going to continue to fluctuate as all of these different teams um, have have a lot going on. But to not to not like quite get and, and this is not, of course, everybody on the roster. Austin Reeves certainly got it. Wendy Gabriel certainly got it. Um, Dennis Schroeder, I think, got it, even if he didn't play as well from an execution standpoint. And those guys, those three gave the Lakers a chance to win the Dallas game, which they didn't end up doing. And Austin particularly won them the Orlando game. So it that and I think the coaches get it 
too. And that's a little bit easier. Like coaches are going to get this kind of thing, but then how do, how is that message relayed back down to the players and how many of them is that? How many, how much is that of that is the, uh, is the execution piece and the focus piece as Darius was starting to hint at versus it's easy to just say blanket energy or, or um, effort or lack thereof. So it's, it's a lot, but my bottom line, Pete was just that it wasn't good enough. And where it certainly was the previous couple of weeks when I don't know if that was my whole point about maybe the Lakers hit the button a little bit earlier than some other teams. And now and now the teams are either matching it or just the Lakers aren't able to quite sustain that. Whatever it is, it, it wasn't enough. And in that, I think should that should bring some concern to these next stretch of games, because it, it just was such an obvious place where the energy and, and the execution and all of it could have, should have, would have been better. And it, it's, it, there isn't that there isn't necessarily that baseline to say that you can expect that going forward as they go down to the stretch here. This has been an aspect of the team for a very long time. And I'm really glad we're having this conversation, particularly after Russell Westbrook was traded. One of the things I've always looked sideways at during the Russ era that I always tried to push back at is the idea that this guy being on your team saps the energy of every like he's who's preventing you from focusing and playing hard and valuing possession after possession. And that is something that the game winner against Dallas looking exactly the way it did against Indiana. Uh, I don't mean to get too esoteric uh, on you, but uh, Carl Jung believed in the idea of synchronicities. Uh, look, look them up if you can, but the idea that there are things that seem like coincidences that are actually more tied together than you think. And so to me, D the, the personality of the team of kind of giving it away, like you were talking about earlier, that's something that's been a part of who we are for a minute now. And we look at, we've got 10 games left and we look at the play on the floor and oftentimes it's like, oh, there's just not that level of focus, right? And that's that's really, when we talk about energy and effort, I feel like focus is the mental aspect of that. How are you tracking a play? And coaches have a specific way of measuring this to make this objective. It's uh, on defense. Do you move on the pass or do you move on the catch? Meaning when the ball gets moved from one position to another, everybody on the floor defensively is supposed to shift with it. Are you shifting as the guy's making the pass, meaning that you're mentally tracking the play and being like, oh, he's moving it over to this next position next. And so your momentum starts going that way. Or do you see the guy move the ball from one position to the next and then go, oh, I have to get out there. And it's a subtle difference, but it's a way you can view it as a coach to see if your team is mentally locked in. And those types of mistakes are things that I see us making a ton of. And like Mike said, it just kind of belies the the standings. I just want to interject something that to see if this is where you're going, because it made me think of this a little bit. But when you watch playoff games or like a play in game, there are guys that within 30 seconds, you say, no, 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 no. Like that. No, this yeah. game is too serious for that. You know? Stands out and, a ton. Yes. In that, in these last couple of games, even though they haven't been playoff games since there, there's a certain mindset that you go into looking for one of those things there, there are certain guys that just haven't been meeting, you know, that type of moment. So do, is, is that, is that part of what you're looking yeah, it's at a mental, there? So this is all of these guys have played so much basketball that I don't think as fans, we entirely understand the degree that like when the ball is in the corner, say, and you're in this spot, this is what you're supposed to do. 
And I, I always talk about that sequence, and it's a sequence that all NBA players know. All high-level basketball players kind of know how this goes. NBA players have the highest level of nuance and skill to capitalize on it. But players know where the pass is going to go next, D, by and large, when they're really locked in. Basketball, just on the NBA level in particular, happens so fast, and the guys are so good that they're capable of taking advantage of your smallest mistakes or you being mentally a step behind, better than any other level, of course. But that's really what it comes down to for me, D. That's what I see it a lot of right now. Yeah, I see a lot of it too. So it's interesting, right? We talk a lot offline, us three. Um, my wife was laughing because we were having some random conversation and then I have an Apple watch and my watch started to light up. And then she's like, what are you doing? Ding, 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 ding. And I said, oh, no. I'm looking at messages from Pete and Mike. And so, I'm sorry. Mike said so, this about Annie before too, I'm pretty sure. It's so, oh, no. look, I'm just guilty as the next guy. And so typically like during games, especially I, I am firing off so I, I don't tweet as much during the games anymore, mostly because when I do tweet my mentions, I'm one of those people that I'm not good at avoiding my mentions. And, and so <laughs> maybe this will flood my mentions now with people saying stuff to me. I have no clue. There's a lot of times where most people are super nice, but the general angst of the team is reflected in yeah. any of our mentions, whatever we say anything on Twitter. Anyways, I've been seeing a lot of what you were saying, Pete, with like that mental engagement and not. And I think I treat different players differently. And I have sometimes a higher threshold or a lower threshold based off of what my mood is. So I'm not even going to act like this is fair. Against Dallas, I was not as disappointed with AD, even though AD made all the mistakes at the end that cost them the game. And against the Magic, I was more disappointed with AD just because I thought that he was not playing as engaged as he needed to play, particularly offensively. Like he was just like his focus wasn't there. He was fumbling the ball a lot. And that's where you can tell he was floating around a lot. He was taking a lot of jumpers. But one of the things I said online that got my mentions on fire was like I was sort of apologetic for AD within the context of I thought I think the Lakers should be doing more in order to get AD going personally. And I think they need to put him more in the center of the frame. And, and so AD's play to me is like an interesting pivot point for where the Lakers are right now, because I see a lot of frustrations in general around the stars of the team, but I don't necessarily think AD is the one who is not playing as serious particularly at the start of games. And, but that's just my opinion. I'm sure. wondering where you guys are with like, are you identifying the start of games as as being an issue? Because the starting lineup to me is not, it's too often been that bench group that has been bailing the Lakers out, which Mike alluded to, to earlier. And I'm just looking for a more serious level of basketball than what the team has been playing. And I think you get that at the start of games. Like, that's the tone setter. And I haven't been seeing enough of that. And I guess I'm just going to keep lamenting about this because I'm not in a very good mood this morning. To me, it starts with AD. Before we get into the broader uh, five-man group, I, I want to zero in on AD because he's a guy who's making a lot of those focus and mental mistakes. For example, the end of that Dallas game, before we gave up the three, he fouled Kleba on a three. 
right? And that's a in in that type of situation, that's a mental mistake, right? You're up by four. If he hits the shot over your outstretched arms, you know, that's going to happen. But you don't want to foul the three-point shooter there. And then on the final play, for one, Kyrie Irving made an incredible play right there. And I think that sometimes in the analysis of our own team, we can lose the fact that great players can make great plays. But on that play, like uh, we had Dennis Schroeder ball pressuring him. And then Wenyon, who was tremendous this weekend, uh, we had Wenyon shadowing him. And so it was kind of this soft double team that they both executed extremely well. Kyrie works to get himself open, starts driving right, and Wenyan cuts off his angle, like just slides his feet, takes a great angle. Dennis is chasing him. And Kyrie, knowing what to do when you're getting that much pressure against you, when you have the ball in your hands, knowing how to use that against a defense, Kyrie acts like he's going to do a hard dribble pull up going right. This is the great Jerry West shot. And since that's Kyrie Irving, Wenyon's on his heels, right? Because he's sliding his feet, trying to keep a up, keep up with him on the ground. But Dennis, on the back pressure, jumps and and skies and gives his best effort the way that he always does. But Kyrie holds his left pivot foot just with his tippy toes on the ground, and then fires a freaking laser across the court right into Kleba's shot pocket. But like it made him jump stop into his shot to kind of get that rhythm that a good shooter gets. It was just like a five-star basketball play by Kyrie. But on that, AD overhelped, right? AD was not in, uh, AD was more playing center field on that play, which is interesting when you also have another guy in a shadow role the way that Wenyon was. Well, he was one pass away too, right? And so the way, when, when Kyrie shifted his momentum back to middle, AD is one pass away at that point. And you could, you, if you watch the replay and, Damn it, if that replay didn't show up on every social media feed that I scrolled for like a day and a half straight. But him and Vanderbilt were almost like standing right next to each other for a second. Which should never that's the type of mental focus. Which should never happen on weak side help. Like one of those guys has to cover two and the other one is on their own man. Right. And so like that's so them standing too close to each other was all AD. That wasn't his help. Right. That's right. And so I guess the reason I I wanted to focus on that play is the overall point that I'm making is it's harder to to get yourself to the highest levels of basketball mentally because AD wasn't bad on that play. Like I saw what he was doing because they set a screen for Kyrie and I, I forget who it was and he rolled to the basket. Um, and AD, who was playing center field, was trying to take that away just in case Kyrie wanted to hit him on the roll. But that's a, a spot where Vando and AD have to talk and, and Vando's got to be like, I got him, I got him, go, 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 right? But And then AD, the ball gets swung to Kleba and AD took one false step. Like he thought Kleba was more was closer to the middle of the floor than he was. And so his initial step was there and then he was like, oh crap, so he kind of had to veer. And just that, and, and he's a, a tall shooter, right? That to me, that type of play is indicative of AD was was not like mentally in outer space or anything on that play. But there are a lot of plays where he's not locked in and other parts of the game that I think might make it more difficult when it gets to that last play type environment where everybody's locked in. And it's a big game between two teams competing for a playoff spot. It's harder to get to the highest level of your concentration if you haven't been concentrating more all along. So let's take a break. Come back. Talk some more about that. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Anthony Davis, the last couple games for him, I think, have been somewhat of the accumulation of a big load that's been on his shoulders physically and mentally for a while now uh, and since LeBron went down. And I think that this is the type of load that LeBron has carried often throughout his career, Um, although in a, a little bit different from a defensive standpoint specifically. But you know, AD is basically the key to the Lakers game plan on both ends of the floor right now. And he is continuing to do his job defensively for the most part, like with with the occasional uh, we mentioned the blip in the, the two different possessions with Maxi Kleber. And, you know, I'm I'm a little bit sympathetic to plays like that when like when AD is essentially guarding like the entire team and then mm-hmm. he's trying to do that again and in thinking, well, Maxi Kleber, like, you know, he, he can hit threes, but he's it's not like he's, um, you know, prime whoever uh, prime Reggie Miller out there just waiting for the catch and shoot chance. And so it did look like Kyrie was going to take that shot. And then he was, Mm -hmm. AD was going in to try and and try to try and um, gather the rebound. Like he grabbed the one, the one I'm thinking of is like at Milwaukee over Giannis, which -hmm. essentially steals the win. He was going in to try and end the game there. I think that Mm -hmm. was what his instinct was. And so I have, I have a little bit of grace in Darius uh, parlance for stuff like that. Sometimes, even though in hindsight, when the guy hits the shot, it's like, why aren't you, why aren't you just standing next to him? Because if, if you're standing next to him, then the pass doesn't necessarily go out. There's just a lot of stuff there. But it was the, let me zoom out now. There were many, many different plays throughout that game in which, like, the Lakers shouldn't have been in the situation where yes. uh, they were where they were needing to have to not concede a three on that last stop. And AD had part uh, had some to do with that. Um, so for the game against Orlando, to fast forward now, he's minus three. Um, in his 34 minutes and against Dallas, he's plus one and it's net rating is not, is not like, especially individual game plus minus is not that big of a deal sometimes, but it's just to, to fast forward the conversation. So we, we can't go through the entire games and go through every single play, but I, I, that's why I started this with the accumulation um, of all of the, the mental and physical responsibilities that I think AD is feeling right now. And Partly when his teammates in the starting lineup and I'm looking at Vanderbilt and Beasley, mostly I think are really good fits in the starting lineup with LeBron James out there and have have sort of 
expose is way too strong of a word, but there are certain things that those guys do that that aren't as helpful to that lineup at certain points when AD's out there and then he has to do a little bit more. Or you have to go in and get – and Russell to an extent uh, when he's not hitting his shot and he's being a little bit more in deferral mode, but the defense is not allowing for Anthony Davis to be the person that he can defer to. And then that's where you get into this spot of just – the Lakers lacking a certain amount of rhythm on offense and then a defense, not all being on a string. And I just think that that collective, that collective angst has weighed on him for a couple of games. The one counterpoint to hit back at you is because I asked Davis after the guy asked Darvin also after the game, what's up with the starters essentially. And the implication in tone and question was, has not been good enough, obviously, right? The last couple of games, just Look at the look at the Lakers were getting run off the court at certain times at the starters and the bench would come roaring back in both games. And AD pointed to the New Orleans game as saying, well, they're, they're actually like there have been some moments where this group has really clicked great. Um, and that was true in that first half. Like they they completely ran away from things. But yeah, I, I as a, a cumul- the cumulative effect of this group and what they're going to do for however long LeBron remains out. Because, I, again, I do think that the lineup makes a little bit more sense with LeBron in there. Uh, that is a question for me. And, you know, the next the next time we'll get an answer is the next game. But we've got some time to stew on now what has been a, a clear group that's been struggling for the last two games. Very much so. And that's why I actually, you said, D, that you were less frustrated on Friday and more so with AD on Sunday. It was the opposite for me. And the reason for that is... Offensively, I think that the realities without LeBron lead to there are going to be some nights where our offense is just kind of clunky right now. That makes sense to me relative to our uh, to our roster. The objective measure to me for AD's engagement is on the defensive end. I thought he was really good on defense against Orlando, and that's a big reason why we won the game. And I think that as rudimentary as it sounds, in his particular case, I think stocks are indicative of his activity level. Sure. And that was what bothered me about the Friday game is, yeah, I think he had one steal, no blocks. And just when AD is on and really locked in, defensively he can really take over a game especially a team like Dallas that Kyrie was wonderful but Luka was out they they had limitations in terms of shot creation that I think monster AD defensively just that alone probably wins the game sure I looked at the Dallas game differently because Dallas Dallas spaced them out in ways where AD was rarely around the basket like so even though he defended Powell a lot he mm. when Powell was in the game they actually didn't go to Powell as much and they played Wood and Kleba a fair amount and I and I had mentioned this during the Orlando game as well is that I don't necessarily like AD on a stretch 5 because mm. that player often yeah. sets screens and then pops and then AD plays in the drop in Darwin's system and it makes him passive. Like basically because they're not running that action within the pick and pop a lot of times in order to Mm -hmm. attack AD at the basket, they're trying to space him. And so I get 100% what, what you're saying. My frustrations around the Orlando game were more with like his general focus offensively in that he just wasn't, the opportunities that he did get he just did not look engaged with yeah. them and he fumbled the ball a lot. He, 
He damn near gave up a steal in the backcourt off of like a defensive rebound where he instantly put the ball on the ground and the guy just reached in and swiped it from from Who behind to right knock it to away. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like there was a certain level of like, oh, he wasn't into it. Uh, the second half of the Dallas game, AD kicked everyone's ass. He wasn't getting the ball a lot, but he was like on the backboards. He was fighting for contested rebounds. He was doing a fair amount of stuff where I'm just like, ah, that's the dude right there. And then he took it all away with th- literally three consecutive possessions of like, what the hell are you doing? Right. With the, mm-hmm. with the foul and then the missed free throw, which his yips also, at the line, yeah. like oh, man, just games, like, like oh, the free right? throw shooting, and just that alone. Yeah. Right. And then, and then like, again, I get where he could have, where he wasn't, he wasn't bad on that last play, but once him and Vando were standing right next to each other. I'm just like, no, no. And Vando's the one who needs to be in the paint. Yeah, you gotta be talking. And Vando's the one that needed to be in the paint. AD needed to be above the foul line. And he wasn't. There have just been pockets, though, this year. And when when AD has gotten into his, well, when Darwin, you know, I don't know if Stu particularly loved Darwin calling him Wilt and like that whole thing. But when AD has been in that type of a bag and just doing everything and, LeBron hasn't played in most of those types of games, but then there have been these other games like these last two where the defense has been more focused on him or he just hasn't had his rhythm or whatever it is. And then not only that, but, but there also isn't another starter that has been carrying a big enough load to counteract that. And that's when you've needed Austin Reeves to come in uh, and Dennis Schroeder secondarily to really lift it. And I, I just think that that's something that has to be acknowledged too. When we're, when we're looking at Anthony Davis, like you have to look at the guards, you have to look at what yep. other guys are either able to, or not able to step into that place. In that whole idea of slotting, I feel like LeBron being out puts AD a little overextended on offense from what he's ideally doing. And also like running your offense through a big is just fundamentally different than running it through your guards or ball handlers. And so D like the way Philly runs their offense, they've been running their stuff through Embiid for years with us. We've been a drive and kick team all year long. Just the basketball process of transitioning to playing through a big guy is different. It just takes a few games to, I think that there's, if we can, if we can get there to the playoffs, I think there's going to be benefit of having these games of having some and having some reps of doing it through AD. But I have some degree of grace in that this isn't really how we've been playing all year. They're not playing that way. They're not playing through AD anymore. That Wilt stuff, that was when Russell wasn't there and when LeBron was out injured. They're not playing through Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is involved by setting screens. And then he is the one who's using his role gravity in order to try to get other players open. AD is catching little pocket passes. He is not being deliberately fed the ball the way that he was when the elite or star ball handler has been out of the game. It's just not happening. AD is mostly a second or third option. Every time he's on the court with a ball handler who he is some souped up version of Clint Capella right now. And so I hear you on like, I, and I hear what Mike's saying too, that it's just like the load that AD is carrying is, is high. I think he's asked to do a ton defensively and offensively. He is being asked to like sort of 
be involved, but he is not. His touches are down since Russell's been back. When they were trying to get him the ball, he wasn't fighting for position enough. He took too many jumpers. I thought there wasn't a lot of that like downhill force that he was playing with as once he did have the ball. And that's why my frustration, Pete, was much higher during the Orlando game. It was because Mm. like, look, they're barely going to you anyway. You're barely getting touches like you are not being he's not getting the ball the way Embiid gets gets the ball. Embiid's yeah, touching the ball point. damn near every possession down down the court. AD will go what's the, three, what's the, four, five. What's the solution here? Like, what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. So, look, there was a play that the Lakers ran in the second half, and it wasn't even a play. It was just the way that it worked out. Right. AD was the trail man. And so he was the last player up up the court and Russell had the ball. So Vando, Vando has typically been spacing to the left-hand corner and AD is the one who's setting ball screens. In this particular setup, because AD was the last guy up, Russell's already up the court and Vando is already in the play. So Vando sets a screen and Russell comes off and Vando rolls. And then AD comes and he catches the ball. After that, AD makes the catch at the top of the key. He runs a handoff action with Russell. All that action of Vando at the very beginning, he's now vacated. AD gets the ball after the handoff again, and then he drives down and he gets like a little jump hook over over the top. Mm-hmm. The, the floor balance in that specific action versus the floor balance that exists when everyone is down the court and Vando is faced to the corner and AD has to yep. run up. The Lakers are making AD too easy to defend in this style of offense. He is setting screens, he is rolling, and he is rolling into traffic every single time. And the guy who is open is the guard. So that's why Austin coming off those screens and hitting the foul line jumper or D'Lo coming off and putting his guy in jail and then playing in floater range, those are the plays that are open. And then AD is doing a lot of screen, ball screen, and then screen in order to have a shooter come off. And typically that's that's Beasley. The actions that are being run are actions that benefit the guards. They're not actions that are benefit Anthony Davis. And so when you're asking me what the solution is, you can go back two weeks to before Russell came back and look at the stuff they were running in order to try to get AD going. And part of this is on Anthony Davis too. I don't want to absolve AD for just like, he needs to be a more forceful player when he's getting the ball in in the half court. And I think naturally that Mike D'Antoni idea of ball finds energy will be there as well. So it's like, oh, AD got it going. He's going hard. We're going to keep getting him the ball. But... Pete, one of the things I am not seeing is that deliberate idea of this dude's our best player. Mm -hmm. We actually want him to touch the ball more because he's not touching the ball more. He's touching the ball less. And I'm just trying to find, I'm trying to get AD the ball more in order for me to be actually disappointed with like, what are you actually doing when you're getting the, these opportunities? Because part of the reasons why I'm, I'm upset is that his opportunities are just down. So I think there are a couple of factors uh, 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 along with what you've said that that play into that. Um, one, I think we're running a lot of action for Beasley that we don't need to be running. Um, I think that with the offense, with the starting group in particular, like Beasley is a guy who's going to shoot if he's even a fraction open, but we don't need like semi-contested threes coming off of a screen from him with 16 seconds left on the shot clock. And a lot of times I think that I think we added shooting and there's some degree of like, 
playing with the new toy that you got at Christmas that like we're just running a ton of stuff for shooters. Like when you were talking about when you were talking about a uh, a lot of the stuff we run is to the benefit of the guards. That's one of the things that, that came to mind for me. But also Vanderbilt has the same gravity issues that Russ did. And just as was the case with Russ, you have to be very intentional with where Vando is on the court. And with more of a shift to five out type of spacing, he's behind the three point line in ways where teams are just selling out off of him defensively that they're like, oh, that's fine. If you want to take that shot, they're they're very happy with that. And so I think that a few factors like and then, and then just along with the fact that these guys are a collection of individuals that are trying to form themselves into a team, Mike. And that's one of the things that can be easy to forget in the urgency of the circumstances and the standings and all of that is that this is a team that is finding itself because they haven't played together many games. And it's a very unique circumstance to be in, but I think it's important to acknowledge that that's the one that we're in. And just since we're running out of time, I know that we'll, uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll spend a lot more time on this, but just to give a quick focus on Austin Reeves uh, for a second. I was going to say, like, I, I feel like he he deserves more than a passing mention uh, at, at the end of this. I mean, He's been so this good. Was, this was the uh, the pod that uh, like an angsty Laker film room podcast today, right? Like, uh, it's interesting that coming off of a win, this is what came out of us. What do you guys make of that? Well, I guess what I, I guess my point was, it, it's better to give him a passing mention than none. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank <laughs> coming you. off of coming off of the angst um, element, but yeah, I, 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 we can. It's it's the it's the same conversation though. It's the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Like they needed the reason that they needed their backup, you know, guard to do that was because it wasn't good enough. They shouldn't need Austin Reeves to come in and, you know, attempt a million free throws to the point where, so Austin right now <laughs> in the month of March ranks 12th in the NBA in free throw attempts. What do you make 12th. of Austin's um, foul drawing capabilities, Mike? This is a topic you yeah, have you opinions that, on. So I, I've had, a, I've had a hard time with this one because even Austin mentioned a couple of names of guys that I don't like in terms of the way that they draw fouls in you know, James Harden, Trey Young. <laughs> there are guys, though, that draw fouls in in a more pure basketball way. And I think he's more like that. And the player that I'm thinking of is Shea, uh, like Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's it's just more in or, or like Jimmy Butler, you know, Kobe was, was, in this, Butler. Was, was in this frame, like guys who are just smart and are actually and are getting the defense to jump into them every time, mm-hmm. as opposed to like backing into them or um, completely flailing, flail, uh, flailing. And he will do that once in a while, but mm-hmm. I feel like he's most of the, sh- the falls that he draws are more pure because these dudes just want to block him so bad. And, you know, <laughs> yep. and he's, and he's so good because he's been, since he was a kid, guys have been trying to do that to him. Yep. And I, I just think he's really good at it. I don't think he's doing it uh, like tricking the game off. Um, is much, but I, that was not, I, I was just more going to focus on him just being awesome in general. It's not just the free throws um, that he's doing. He's doing all kinds of stuff and uh-huh. including assisted turnover, like including d- defense, um, including pull up J's, like, like all kinds of different skill stuff, reverse layups with English. You know, he's, he's been, been showing a whole bunch of stuff. Austin's been great. He's been unreal. He wrong foots opponents a lot. Like he does a very good job of keeping defenders off balance when you're off balance and you've got a player who initiates contact, that player is going to draw a lot of fouls. Is there a grift 
element to Austin Reeves. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> damn right there is that. Like, but he's he going for that end w- one, D. Like, that's the thing about Austin is he's looking to draw that foul, but it's not like a I'm ripping through in this wild direction where I would never actually attempt a shot this way. It's that, like, I want you to hit me down low, but I still yeah. have my balance up top to be able to make the shot. Well, one of the things that he's been doing, too, is he comes off that ball screen and he plays with such great pace that he's waiting for defenders to catch up to him. And then he is just like, what are you going to do when you're in my hip pocket? And can you defend this action without fouling me? And he is putting in the referees. He's putting the referees in position where it's just like, what are you going to call here? Is, he is there not going to be a call? The, the whole idea of like using a guy's eagerness against you against him yeah like Fultz like if you watch I, I rewatched the game last night and the Austin Fultz matchup was particularly funny because Austin was just cooking Fultz and it was in that exact type of way where it's like they're very eager to block the shot type of thing and it's like oh I'm gonna run into you and it's gonna be an and one well, I wrote about this, Mike, and my recap for Lakers.com is that he has very good short area quickness and he's got good ball handling, but he also has a great like stop start ability. And so Pete and he does it in a variety of ways. But a couple of times, Pete, like he drove hard and then he reversed pivots and Fultz was just like sliding out of the frame because he Austin is just then pivoting away like Mm -hmm. you're trying to catch up to me because suddenly I'm not where you thought I was going to be because I'm quicker in that short area. And a big key to being able to do that is just shot making the threat of being able to make a shot if you don't get there. So just quick guess from you guys out of the last one, two, three, out of the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven games. How many games do you think he's been above 60% from the field? Five. Five. I mean, yeah, five, like above 60%. And in the, you know, some of the, some of the attempts are a little lower, like partly because of how how much he's going to the free throw line, but like he's making a vast majority of his shots. Now he's 56% for the month. Um, Even with the threes down a little bit, threes are at 36 and and some of the missed free throws, but yeah, the, the shooting, especially from like the tough places to shoot has been ridiculous. So, him being given more and more on-ball responsibility, more and more of a unit to run, this is the way, right? Like, I I texted you guys last night, the Morpheus, uh, when Austin was going off down the stretch, the Morpheus, he's starting to believe, right? Like, that that's very much what it looks like. And one of the benefits of this unusual time where LeBron's out and we've traded Russ and just we have less on-ball kind of force and and, uh, reliability then that he's getting the ball more and and real and experiencing this level of success that I think that building a unit around him uh, with the bench in particular is going to be beneficial to us. I have thoughts. Uh, gosh, this this pod today could go another forty minutes in terms of uh, uh, what I think we have to get off of our chest. And again, it was more angsty than you'd think we would be off coming off of a win, but. Uh, dramatic times in Lakerland. We will be back tomorrow to discuss more of it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Down. 
Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shaq with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.